I mean, I took a lot longer on that point than the next three. I just want you to know. But I do feel this is important, and I know it's basic, and I know that you know it, but can I plead with you? We're living in a world where this is really, really under attack. And I'm not convinced that the other world is going to be causing fruitfulness or longevity. In fact, I see evidence of the other world doing the exact opposite. Here's my second foundational point, which is also something you all know a lot about, but I just want to draw out some things about it, and that is this, being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm using the word constantly, deliberately. You can have a theology on the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is a separate experience of the Holy Spirit for power that is different from the Holy Spirit coming in you when you are converted. But the danger is you can look at that as something that's past and not present. And we all know the Greek words talk about be being filled with the Holy Spirit as a continuous experience. And so this need as being fruitful in ministry to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital for where you are today. Now, I don't know you, and I don't know how you're doing in things of the Spirit, but my, my point this morning is to draw you to this conclusion that it's the experience of the Holy Spirit today and tomorrow that is more important than any moves of the Spirit or any past experience of the Spirit, however valid that you may have had. You cannot today live on them. Amen? See, sometimes you talk to people and it's all about the old days. There's a wonderful verse in Ecclesiastes that, that says, do not talk about the old days as if somehow they are the golden magical days. They're not. Do you know what they are? They're the old days. We're living in today. And Jesus often uses today, today, today. It's your experience of God today. Now, the Holy Spirit is described as our helper and is our helper in everything. And if that is true then today I need to be totally dependent upon him. My burden is this. We as leaders who've been around for some time, have had experiences of the Holy Spirit, can today take him for granted. That we somehow can get through life and ministry without him. I want to suggest to you that is a bad idea. Take prayer, for example. Romans 8.26, Paul says we do not know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. In other words, the key to my prayer life is not me or the hours that I pray, it's him. And if, like me, you pray sometimes without the Holy Spirit, 10 minutes can feel like an hour. But when you involve him and say, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to pray, please could you guide my prayer time this morning, then an hour can seem like 10 minutes. It's like totally different. It's a complete transformation. I honestly do think the Holy Spirit, who we know is a person, which means that he feels things, he gets grieved, he gets quenched, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a person of the Trinity. I honestly think in his capacity as our helper, the frustration that he must feel with me constantly is, is unbelievable. I mean, he's come to help. We know he's the paraclete to lift the weight of my life and carry me through. And here I am busying myself doing it without him. And he must be there for goodness sake, David, when? And then when I've got to total desperation, completely run out of everything, I say, oh, Holy Spirit, I think you might have something to do with this. And he said, at last, I've been watching you for the last three years, please get out of the way and help me take this on. 
And so that's not just true of my past, it's true right now. And for me personally, coming into, this sounds terrible, isn't it, the fourth decade of my ministry, I've come to the conclusion I need more of him rather than less of him. My sense is there's a danger of over-familiarity, a kind of sameness. I remember when I first heard singing the Spirit or speaking in tongues, the only way I can describe it was a sense of wonder and a sense of awe and a sense of being overwhelmed because it wasn't just about speaking in tongues, it was about the presence of God. Think as time goes by, you just become so familiar with things, they don't any longer feed you today in the way they did in the past. Here's my burden. If we are to have a foundation for true success and fruitfulness, we need to be more open to the Spirit. We need to have more space for Him to move. We need to have more opportunities for more of His anointing. 2 Timothy 1.6 Fan into flame the gift that is within you. What does that mean? It means practice. Keep on practicing what God has given to you. Give constant intention to the things of the Spirit in your life. Question, do people see you as more dependent on the Holy Spirit as the years go by? Or do they really think of you as someone who has moved on from that? We're back to our reservoir again that's either filled or half empty. It'll be half empty if you're living on past experiences, or if you've lost the wonder of the person of the Holy Spirit, it gets filled when you are totally available to him. In order for us to come across as leaders in front of our congregations who are more dependent on the Holy Spirit, it will require some things that are quite painful. One of them is this that people will see our weaknesses, which is why they also see our need for more of the Holy Spirit. If we come across to our congregations as we've got it all together, and we kind of, we've got this Holy Spirit thing buttoned up, we know how this works, that's going to show a lack of vulnerability. And I think in order for many of us to experience more of the Holy Spirit, we have to come back to that dependency, which means that people will see us as weak, vulnerable people that can't do this without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So recently, myself and my leadership back at home have decided that when there's opportunities for more of the Holy Spirit or to get prayed for for more of the Holy Spirit, we don't care who's watching, then we're really going to put ourselves in that position. And it can be really embarrassing why does he have to go forward for more of the Holy Spirit? He's our, you know, he's our leader, he's our elder. And you have no idea what that message sends to people. I've watched leaders recently who, it looks like they're not very good at receiving anymore. And I think it's because they would much rather pray for other people than get prayed for themselves. And if you're someone who would much rather pray for other people than be prayed for yourself then that means you're either above your need of the Holy Spirit or you've got this sense of this is something from the past rather than the present. When we expect everyone else 
to be hungry for the Spirit and everybody else to come forward and get prayed for, but we never do. That is just saying something to the congregation of their need and your lack of. And the other thing I think this produces is leaders who are good leaders. We're talking about elders of churches and leaders' responsibility is sometimes they come across to me as pretty locked up. Yeah, he's a really great guy, but you know, emotionally he's, kind of, he's a bit locked up, really. That's so sad. And we need those doors to open again. And part of that is coming across as looking a bit insecure. Because you have to be seen to be someone who wants to receive these things. And so once or twice recently, I've watched eyebrows raised as, yes, another elder goes forward for prayer. It's kind of, we're not putting on a show. It's that we just know that we of all people need to do this. I think as leaders, sometimes we also rush on. Would you pray for me, please? Right, so let's get this over and done with. Hands laid on. Let's just get this so that we can... And we always, we, we allow it to happen for a moment, but we must move on. Leaders are always moving on. We don't wait. We don't just be normal people. We don't just be vulnerable like everyone else is having to be, but we kind of need to rush on. Every opportunity. Let us be known in our churches as elders and as elders' wives, for being the most dependent on the Holy Spirit, the most eager, the most longing for more of him, more than we ever were in the past. I have an American brother-in-law. His name is Art. And um, Art loves the Holy Spirit, and he loves Jesus, and he just goes for everything whenever God's doing anything. And I've watched him over the years. He's always the first one out the front, he doesn't go forward for conversion because he knows he's got saved once, so that's great. But anything else is going, he kind of goes for it. And after years of this, of watching him, I, I noticed on one occasion that there was an appeal for healing for those of you that were sick. And Art was probably about the first or second out the front. And I'm watching him, and I know there's absolutely nothing wrong with him. <laughs> and I'm just kind of bemused. And I haven't over the years bothered to... I've just been a bit enamoured by his hunger and thirst for anything that God's doing. I've been really convicted by... Now I'm a professional leader. I don't come across like that anymore. And he just goes for it. And so when he came back to his seat, I said, Art, I've been watching you do this for years. And I, there's nothing wrong with you. Why did you go forward for healing? He said, it was obvious. I needed general maintenance. And I just thought, I just, I had no answer to that statement. And you see, the attitude is this. I can't go another day if there's an opportunity for more of the Spirit, so I'm going to go, and I'm going to go for general maintenance. Anything, whatever's going. And it's a wonderful mentality, actually. And I want to challenge us, as, as those who are leaders that people watch and observe, let them see, here's another vulnerable, weak person who cannot and doesn't pretend to do what he's doing in his own strength or in her own strength. We need more of the Holy Spirit. So I, I, when I got to this second point, I was nervous, thinking I'm speaking to whole people who've got this buttoned up. I've come to the conclusion we haven't, and I've come to the conclusion this is vital for future ministry, that it's not what I had once, but what I have now today. Number three of the four points. I've entitled this one, Approved. Just Approved. If you are approved by God and you know it, it has a massive effect upon your future. 
if you are not, or you kind of know it theologically, but you don't know it internally, the opposite is a disaster, as you'll see in a moment, and very exhausting. We could look at a lot of scriptures, but let me just remind you of these, and I'll go through them slowly because I think they're just so powerful. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, listen to this, I would not be a servant of Christ. My goodness. Guys, you're looking at someone who's very doubtfully a servant of Christ. I want to please people, don't you? I mean, I... I want the approval of people. I want friends. I want people to think I'm good and look good. And I want to make sure I'm coming across okay. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 18. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Just let it sink into you. so powerful. One more verse. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. I could look at a lot of others, but we'll just go for three. On the contrary... We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who alone tests our hearts. My goodness, if you can get these verses (laughs) into the way you live as a foundation, it would be amazing. Folks, you are approved by God, not by people. And you are approved by God, not through your works or what you do, you know all this, but through the finished work of the cross. If I don't get the approval of anybody or the applause of anyone or the recognition of anybody, and they all forgot to say thank you to me rather than thank you to everybody else, etc., 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 I know this. I am approved by God through what he has done for me, through his grace and mercy and his work on the cross. The great battle cry statement for those of us who know we're approved by God is in Romans chapter 8. If God is for me, who can be against me? The foundation for fruitful ministry is not looking for anyone's approval, but God alone. And trying to win the approval of others never, ever, ever satisfies And that's the problem, because when you think, oh, finally I've got everyone, finally she understands, finally my congregation get, they've all approved of me, there'll be somebody who will say something. And down you'll go like a pack of cards. Because you're always, if you're trying to please people, and I I think it's one of the greatest burdens I carry with leadership, people still trying to please people is such a thankless task, it's so exhausting, and it really affects almost everything that that you do. Pleasing people will make you ineffective. It will make you insecure. To be honest, it ends up with something quite ugly. I'm worried about how I come across. I'm comparing myself to others. And I'm jealous at others' successes, which, folks, makes me competitive. One of the great challenges of New Frontiers right now through multiplication is you can all look at one another and think, he's planted 10 churches yesterday. You know, and it's real and you can get jealous and competitive. Right, we'll go and plant 10 churches. We'll show them. We're going to... And what are you doing? You're trying to find approval from others rather than from God 
himself. It's a brave soul who stands approved by God and doesn't look for the approval of other people. When you're looking for the approval of others, performance becomes the all-important thing. What do people think about me of what I have done? And it doesn't matter who you are, you can fall into the trap. I've been amazed at the end of, you know, someone can preach an evangelistic sermon and 250 people get saved and he gets off the platform and says, was that all right? I mean, was, was that all right? Why do you need me to approve of what you've just done? It's there. It's in many of us looking for that approval from others. Am I matching up to others' expectations? If I can be really honest with you, our little family of churches has only been going not even three years. And when it kicked off, I realized straight away I was in trouble as the guy who <laughs> was trying to lead this thing because I had half the pastors who had this expectation of me. And they're looking at me thinking, oh, well, we'll, we'll want, can, he, can, he really, can he really do this? And then I realized on the other part of the room, there was another whole load of other people who had completely different expectations of these people and they're all looking at me thinking and I went through some this will tell you I mean I went just through some real agonies in terms of what am I doing and part of the question was that is I can't live up to their expectations and I certainly can't live up to their expectations you know the way I battled through this I realized Lord I can never win their approval I will never ever get to the place where I can be what they nor these guys I can never get to the place. And you might be thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm leading a ragtag and bobtail. You're thinking, we're never like that. What are you talking about that? I don't believe you. But anyway, <laughs> they're like that. And they know they've got these expectations. You know, Terry Virgo, now it's, Moses is dead. You know, come on. Where are we going to, how am I going to, is the boy going to do good? You know, it's kind of like, and I just went through this time of realizing, Lord, I am what I am. I'm never going to, I'm never going to satisfy these guys. I'm never really going to live up to, to these guys' expectations. But I am me, and that's all I can be. And Father, I absolutely know that you've approved of me. Yeah. And something happened. I'm not so, it'd be foolish for me to say, and I'm right through now, but something happened fundamentally that won me over to what's most important in my life is the smile of God, the approval of God, the pleasure of God rather than pleasing all these people. And since then, something changed. I've become far more kind of not living up to expectations, but being who I am. And I would suggest to you, as those who lead churches are involved in different aspects of church life, the same is exactly for you as well. And so this issue of being approved and not winning the approval of others is incredibly liberating and life-changing. Or if you're not through, it's incredibly negative and affects even our motives and doesn't give us any peace. I think there are people in this room today for whom this is still a real issue. And if you'll go from here this, at the end of this weekend and just think about these things and how they affect you, and every time you make a move, um, uh, is my motivation to please these people, to win their approval, or am I doing this honestly? And, and by the way, just to make this more complicated, when you're seeking God's approval, he'll make you and say, cause you to say things and do things that no one's going to like. <laughs> and that's really, that's really sobering, because that really tests. Am I in this for them, and the numbers, and the success, and the performance, or am I, at the end of the day, in this 
for his glory and him alone. Got to learn to live before an audience of one. That's on a massive, massive foundation in your life. There's only one who matters. There's only one who gets the glory. And incidentally, there's only one who's going to judge you at the end of your life. All those judging people won't be there. He will be. So why not, before we get there, seek to please him, an audience of one? Someone once had a vision for me, um, which I was very offended at the time. And I was on a stage, and I was doing a kind of, kind of performance. I had a kind of... I was a bit like Fred Astaire. I like that bit. And, I was, and my head was turned upwards, and there was a smile on my face. And then the person said, there's only one problem with this vision as you were in this theatre. There was absolutely no one watching you. And this person said, I believe God wants to say to you, you have, you have tried to please people and perform to whoever is watching. And God is saying, now you must learn to live and perform to an audience of one. And it's not an easy lesson to learn, but it's an important one. Fourthly and finally, we need to have the foundation of rest. I won't go into the, to, but Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 11 talk about this rest that God gives to us. And it's obviously not a day, and it's obviously not just talking about the Sabbath. It's talking about a lifestyle. It's talking about a rest that we can get into that's so important as a foundation. And, and it's just such a wonderful place to get to, to minister from. So what is this rest? Fundamentally, this rest is realizing that this ministry that God has given to me is not mine, it's his. So therefore, all of this is not down to me, it's all down to him. And I can't emphasize enough what, how liberating that is. When the burdens that you carry are taken off your shoulders because you realize his shoulders are the ones that are really going to carry you through in everything you do. I think it's a sad day when people walk into your church and they can spot the leaders because the leaders are the ones who have the whole world on their shoulders. Behold the leader, and he's just looking. <laughs> you know, when you, when you use, this is really sad. When you use the word leader, you don't often think of the most joyful, fulfilled, abundantly living person in the congregation. That's the honest truth. So something needs to change where we realize that rest is a definite decision for, to let him carry this. And so rest is not inactivity, but right activity from the position of rest. I mean, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, we read it earlier, I work harder than all of them, yet not I. What an amazing statement. Have you ever meditated on what that might be like? Here's Dave, he's working really hard, but Dave doesn't feel like he's working hard. Yet not I, but the grace of God everywhere I go. It's just the grace of God that comes through. It's like I'm buoyed, I'm carried along by this wonderful grace which comes from a position of real rest it's not me it's not about me or about my performance and actually even the burdens he's given to me are light and easy that's how you know whether you're carrying God's burdens or not you still got joy you still got peace in fact it's all light and easy and it's wonderful if you have got burdens that are not like that then they're not God's burdens they're yours and the foundation of real fruitful ministry is everything we do comes from this wonderful position of rest. I just want to very quickly quote to you Psalm 127. I've found this really helpful. 
well-known words, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labour in vain. Pause. It's the Lord's. He's got to do it. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, in other words, there are people building this house, but it's not from him, and it's not the way he does it, and it's not for his glory, then we are laboring in vain. And even this, unless the Lord watches over the city, which means prays over the city or town where you live, and unless you know that, the watchman, you and I, stays awake in vain because we're always thinking it's down to us. It is in vain that you rise early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. When I am ministering and not from a position of rest, then I will strive, I will be driven, I will lose a sense of perspective, I will be full of anxiety, and I will lose sleep. Why? Because this all depends on me and how I am doing. And I've come to this wonderful revelation that I'm actually indispensable after all. I used to hear sermons of people saying, you're never indispensable. No, I am really. This can't work without me. This can't survive without me. This is not going to grow without me. This is not going to develop. We're not going to plant. I need to be there. I need to be involved. God must need me. Is the total opposite to being at rest. You know, I often say at elders' appointments, just to let you all know, God doesn't need any of these guys to do what he wants to do. It's important to realise that. But somehow in his sovereignty, he has chosen that through the appointment of elders, something of his heart will be manifest amongst the people of God. But he doesn't need anybody to do anything. He doesn't need you. When you come to the end of your life, guess what? He's going to go on fine without you. Just need to understand that. All those hours of work and worry and anxiety will mean nothing. Why wait till then to get that revelation? (laughs) Why not get it right now at half past 11? Right here in Norwich. Get it into your being. You see, there is a tangible rest that needs to constantly invade our lives. There's this funny phrase here, you know, in vain you rise up early, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. I think how your sleeping is going, and we all go through different phases of good times and bad times, there's always annoying people in congregations like this who just fall asleep. One or two of you have been doing it while I've been speaking. <laughs> just, um, just just nodding off, you know, I've, I've got friends, I get on a plane, they say, Dave, see you in Dubai in eight hours, bonk. That's the end of our fellowship and friendship. And I'm wide awake the whole, good for you. You're really annoying, whoever you are. Normal people. Sometimes sleep is a kind of picture. What's that about? It's that as I rest my head on the pillow at night, I realize this universe is not dependent upon me. It'll still be there tomorrow morning. And that's true of your life. It's true of all the hassles you're facing. It's true of your church. 
It's not dependent. It's just so, if you can get this, it's just so liberating. And of course you're involved, and of course you're praying, and of course it's got your attention, but it hasn't got your striving, and you're not driven, and you're not anxious, and you're not losing sleep over this, because at the end of the day, it's Jesus is building his church, and not you. And my wife's one of these very annoying people that when I'm in a bad state on this, she just looks at me with those wonderful spiritual eyes of hers and says, didn't Jesus say something about he was building? I know. Just don't be annoying, quoting Bible verses. But of course, it's totally true, and it's totally what I need to hear to remind me that this is true. Can I suggest we often stop and pause and think about this? Am I at rest? Is it his? See, I want to lead a people, I'm sure you do, that are very serious and passionate and hardworking about God's calling and his mission. I want us to give our best time, energy, money, yes, and even sacrifice. But if only it flows from this position of rest. That is the big difference. Folks, four foundations. Identity, always first, always last. The constant infilling of the Holy Spirit because of our vulnerability and our need. The absolute certainty I'm approved by God and no longer looking at the approval of others. And then every time I minister, I do so out of a position of rest. If we can get these four basic fundamental things that you've no doubt heard a lot of teaching about over the years, once again embedded in us, it'll be tremendous. I want to throw out to you some questions. I want you to write these down. And uh, I think we've got another 10 minutes. And so I'll just get you to... You probably Can you write these down? Because I would love you to, to go away and consider. We found some of this material helpful in our own eldership team. And I know there's a bit of a dynamic when we come to talk to one another about these things. But I'll just take my time and you can... And maybe we'll get to just talk to one another about one of them. But you can take these and go over them again. Number one, what robs you of being you? What robs you of being who you are? How can you restore this if it's been taken away from you? You're no longer yourself. Number two, if I had more space, what honestly would I fill it with? I mean, we all know the the right answer. It's Jesus, right? (laughs) Jesus is always the right answer to everything. Listen, I last night when we've been interviewed, kept thinking, Jesus is the answer. It's a trick. It's a trick. Jesus is the answer. <laughs> but seriously, come on, what would you really fill it with? Because if we we're really honest, some would say, do you know what? I would fill it with this or that. Number three, what, why do I find it hard to be prayed for? What's, what's, what's the matter with me? Why do I find it difficult to receive when I find it so easy to... Give to, are there blockages in my life? It's just a fascinating conversation which will really help you. Can I just give you a couple more? Number four, am I struggling to find approval from others? And how does that make me come across? So if I say to Liz, am I, am I still struggling to find approval? She says, yes, and this is what it looks like. Thank you. Number five, what does a person ministering out of anxiety rather than rest look like? And does that describe you? What does a 
person ministering out of anxiety rather than rest really look like? And does that describe you? Amen. We've just got just under 10 minutes. What I'd like you to do, if you're here, I know not everyone's here with other teams from your church and you might just have someone next to you or you might like to grab someone from your own team as husbands and wives, but I think you should pick one of those questions I've just given you now. We haven't got time to do all of them. What's the one that really grabs you? And let's spend these next 10 minutes and then we're going to have a coffee break. Is there coffee served? Going to be a coffee break for 15 minutes. And let's, just, um, and let's just talk about these things. That means you've got to stop looking at me and turn around and speak to people. <laughs>